Perfect. All right. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Happy Groundhog's Day. Yes. Happy Groundhog's Day. Yes. Long spring. So oh, yes. if I'm listening to this in three months and it's cold and it's cold, well then we have a problem because it's still had you know, a spring. Groundhog was alive. I know. <laughs> Who'd have thunk that you know just letting an inanimate or non you know sentient animal control our weather was a bad idea. I know, right? So it better be warm. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Well, thank you so much for coming today. We're so happy to have you here on the fly. Very excited to be here. Yeah. So we're just going to jump right in. So from our uh, last conversation, you talked about how you began your foreign politics by actually starting out in law school. Mm-hmm. So we were hoping to hear a little bit more about what made you go to law school, why you didn't like it so much, and how you entered into the political sphere after Yes. So I decided to go to law school probably, um, I I think my mother was like, oh, you like to argue, you should go to law school. Like, and I had liked the law. I liked law TV shows. I liked any of my classes in college that veered into law. And I just really liked analyzing, you know, legal questions and legal issues and thinking in that way. And, um, I, I, when I went to law school, I didn't dislike law school so much. I struggled as um, a practicing attorney at a law firm. But I, yeah, law school was fun and it was great in the sense of, of it, it did do what I thought it was going to do. You really do sit around with a bunch of really smart people. I went to Harvard for law school and you think about legal topics and hypotheticals and scenarios and all of that was great. I think what I found challenging was the practice of law at a law firm, which was a lot less of that, sitting around and thinking about big, complex legal problems. And I think when I was thinking about going to law school, I imagined myself as a public defender in a courtroom. And working in a law firm is really different. It's a lot of reading, it's a lot of writing, it can be uh, isolated. Um, and so I think the, di- the difference between those two experiences kind of was eye-opening for me. And so I decided to pivot my career where I was doing more, engaging on big, like, kind of policy issues and questions that didn't really have answers. And you can sit around and talk about what's the right way to do this, what's the wrong way, and apply the law, but apply what other morals, apply what community stakeholders think, things like that. And so I think all of that kind of led me into the public policy space away from the law firm. So... What does what do those first few years in the public policy space look like, and and how does it feel kind of getting used to a whole new ball game? I guess. Yeah, so I kind of cheated. Um, <laughs> I went from a law firm into onto Capitol Hill, but I did it in a way that was probably the closest it could possibly be to like an attorney because I was just kind of finding my footing, navigating these new spaces. And what I mean by that is I did oversight, oversight and investigations. And that looks really similar to the work that you do in law firms where you're taking depositions, you're reading documents, you're figuring out like, oh, what's the important piece of this document? What's the evidence that we can use? What are the questions we want to ask the person who maybe wrote this document or wrote this email? So all of those things are really similar to some of the things you do at a law firm skill wise. So that was really my bridge. And then... As I was on the Hill, I would engage more and more in the policy and the legislative strategy. So, you know, you would do an investigation and you would find out like, oh, we really need to change this 
law. Like, Congress should do something about this. Like, this, I don't know, car company did this thing um, differently. We should we should figure out another way to do it. And so then I got involved on with the folks that were drafting the legislation. And it's like, how would we draft this differently? And that was my bridge from the oversight and investigations work into the legislative work. And then eventually you realize, oh, there's a whole political world to this. There's, you're figuring out, you know, what legislation makes sense to do and how to craft it based on the needs of the constituents, based on the needs and the the goals of the party. So then I started learning the political side um, of the Hill too. And like, you can bring that all together and really understand how, how things get done. Um, so that was my path, a little cheating, a little bit doing lawyering first, but eventually I made my way to understanding the full spectrum. Yeah. And I remember during our conversation, you mentioned that there's a huge difference between working on the Hill and working for local government because you did end up coming to the Hill and then going back to Chicago, back to your hometown. So could you talk a little bit about the difference in the work that you were doing between the two offices? Yeah, they're different in so many ways. Um, but fortunately, many of the skills translate. So I would say the the biggest kind of immediate difference, I think, is maybe the pace. Um, the, the Hill can move fast, especially the House, which moves a little faster than the Senate, whether you're taking up more pieces of legislation, um, there's more hearings, there's just more people doing more work, so it moves a little faster. With local government, it, it, it's even twice that. Like, I, you're passing a lot more, lo- many more ordinances, it's, it's a quicker process, so there's more work um, to be done. So you get a lot of opportunity, and I really appreciated that. One of the ways that it can be different is you're really working on issues that affect people's everyday lives. And like, certainly you do that on the Hill, but here I'm talking about like tree trimming or potholes that they drive past every day or garbage cans and like things like that, that really impact quality of life every single day. And what that translates into, you know, when people find out you you work in the mayor's office, they stop you when you're in your grocery store, Mm -hmm. they stop you, you know, when you're at church just to ask you know, what's going on with this? What's going on with that? So you're really, really close to the people you serve, like oftentimes on a first name basis. And one of the other things that I think is interesting and um, unique about working for local government as opposed to working in the federal level is a lot of the legislation that the federal government eventually will pick up starts and originates in cities. So it's almost like a pilot program. So depending on where you are, you can get really, really creative with the kind of legislation you pass. And then that can be a model for other spaces around the world. And at the time when I worked in the city of Chicago, um, one of the big things that we were doing was on climate. Um, In 2016, President Obama had entered into the Paris Agreement and... um, at the federal level, the U.S. was doing really big things on climate. And with the change of administration, that some of that work halted. And many of the Democratic cities took that on as, you know, we will lead the charge then. We will be the front. We will, we will raise the torch on kind of moving us forward on climate goals. And um, Chicago was one of those places that did that. And it was really fun and really exciting to see some of the work we were doing and some of the commitments we were making extend to uh, first to other cities and then extend to like other members at the federal level kind of praising that work and using it as a motto. So you're talking about this kind of the the not only what 
small government, local governments can do, but what they can't do, because you're running up against, you know, you're a democratic policymaker and you have a democratic agenda. And especially at the time of Trump, you're kind of experiencing and running up against also the limits of, of how far your power could reach, especially on something like the environment, where you can talk about Chicago's environment all day, but it matters less unless you tackle the country. So what do you do when you're working in local government and you run up against those barriers, but you still want to make a difference? Yeah, I think I think we just didn't underestimate the impact of what serving as a best practice mm-hmm. meant. Yes, we couldn't change federal policy. Yes, our, our local ordinance wasn't going going to become national law. And obviously, climate is one of those yeah. issues where you need international agreement yeah. to really have an impact. But us being as, as forward-thinking and effective as we could be meant the next neighboring state was willing to do it. And then the next, and then the mm-hmm. next. And then you, see, you do see a tipping point. So yes, it takes time, like all policy, but... You get to a certain point that it's like maybe Dems are back in power. They're looking to do, they're looking for a national policy. Mm-hmm. Well, where do we start? We start with these states that were able to be really forward leaning when the country couldn't. Mm-hmm. And we, we take some of their policy and see if we can implement that. It's a patience game. It's a patience yeah. game. It's a, you gotta, it's a faith game. And a piece of that is just kind of doing the legwork too. Mm-hmm. There's strength in numbers. So, you know, okay, I can't, I can't do this at the national level, but how many other mayors can I reach out to like-minded mayors so that we get our numbers up? So maybe we don't have a national policy, but we got a pretty good state-by-state policy that looks pretty strong. Mm-hmm. Right. And so how did your experience working in local government, working with the mayor, help you in your later position working under Kamala Harris? Yeah, I think, well, starting back to something I mentioned earlier, just the opportunity. There was so much work to be done. I got so much opportunity to just do some work, to just try, try to pass legislation, talk directly to aldermen, talk directly to city council members. If there was an issue coming through the city, um, whether it was like uh, garbage cans or climate change or, you know, immigration, I got to talk to other people at a high level who were making decisions to see how they were thinking about these issues. And um, one of the best things I learned in Chicago was was much more of the politics of understanding what is driving the aldermen um, who were the elected officials in Chicago, what is driving them to vote and what, what in what ways, what do they look up, look at when they think about their constituents as they're analyzing a policy or initiative like, what is mattering to them? Who are they hearing from and why does that matter? And how do they think about how they vote vis-a-vis how they keep their seat? All of that is universal in these kind of, in, in, in government. Because these are the same things that federal elected officials are going to think about. So when I came to the Senate, when I returned to D.C. and came to the Senate to work for then-Senator Kamala Harris, I was applying the same thought process that, okay, right. if this person is going to want to vote this way, they're going to need to know, they're going to need to hear from this type of stakeholder and this type of stakeholder, and they're really going to care about this type of stakeholder because that's the type of stakeholder that normally is vocal about this issue. It's things like that, those kind of um, patterns those translate regardless of whether you're in local government, you're at state level, you're at the federal level. And um, 
being learning about it at the local level gave me the opportunity to do it a ton of times because there's so much work and the repetition is what really can make you an expert on these things um i'm curious to hear more about what you think the the state i guess of the democratic party's success is on a local level right now because i think a lot of attention is paid maybe to the Democratic Party on a national level. Yeah. Um, but you're someone who has a really unique experience of, of having seen both. Yeah, I think it was something that Democrats realized in recent years that we kind of had fallen behind. You know, you hear about Republicans, they're putting up candidates for the local school board. And mm-hmm. then that candidate grows into the, the city, um, the city governing body, and then at the state. And they're really grooming people to be elected officials uh, at, at the very local levels, and I think it was something in my circles that Democrats felt like they took their eye off the ball. But now I think you're seeing more and more of that in the most recent election. I know we took back a couple state houses. I think you see the issue of reproductive health really galvanizing Democrats in um, local elections, at, at state elections, and I think um, that's just going to... it's. It, it, clearly is important for we've seen the republican model it clearly has been important for raising the talent but it's also important having these state houses and these state uh governments control over these state governments on all of these issues as the supreme court returns many of these like critical issues that we think about from gun rights to reproductive health back to the states who is governing the states is critical and I think Democrats have caught on to that. And I think um, we've seen some recent success. And um, I think we just have to keep our eye on that ball. You got to do both. You have to focus nationally and state and locally. It's exhausting. So yeah, exhausting. that's a lot to keep in mind. <laughs> it is, but there, I mean, I, there's so much. I have a lot of hope because people are so invested. Like mm-hmm. when I think about what everything you guys are doing, the students that work, that go to Georgetown and engage in the... Um, in the institute, in the, uh, you know, in the school broadly, people are engaged and they're enthusiastic and they're excited and they're such great leaders that, yes, there's a lot of work to be done and yes, there's a ton of challenges at every level, but people are up for the fight. So, so that's inspiring. Yeah, of course. And, you know, you talk about how, you know, between transitions of power and different parties in control of different states, we're constantly seeing legislation change and shift. So how do you, how did your experience differ in terms of, you know, like seeing, or actually I should rephrase, I should say, how did your experience differ in terms of career fulfillment between all three of the offices that you served, like your position in, seeing how, how much things can change, how you can take a step front and then just get sent right back when power Mm -hmm. changes? I think for one of the things in doing this work that fulfillment isn't always in like seeing the final win, you know, it's so so there's, there was fulfillment in any, in any and all of the jobs. I think when I was in the house, um, Democrats were in the minority. I was on financial services and I think the fulfillment, we were defending Dodd-Frank, um, which is financial services bill after, um, the 2008 recession and the wins there were just keeping much of that bill intact knowing that like I knew so many people that were directly impacted by that recession myself included because law firms were notorious for laying off people during that time so the fulfillment was knowing that like 
this work was really not only really important, the recession just happened. So what we were working on really was combating something that just happened and impacted a, a, not only a lot of people, but a lot of people, myself and people that I know and millennials that were just starting their career. So even though we weren't like forging ahead, creating new progressive policy, like that was fulfilling. And I would say at the local level, yeah, certainly um, the Republicans were in power at the national level, but so much of what we were doing, like I said, was just like day-to-day -day quality of life work. And that's fulfilling every day. Like every time somebody is just like really appreciative that you, you know, you've done some snow removal so they can get to work on time or you've made like the, their kids route to school a yeah. little safer because you put more lights up or something like that. That was great. And it, it really mattered a lot. It mattered to people and you would hear about it every day. And I think um, in in the White House, it, that was more, I think, of what people typically think is fulfillment. When we first, when I first started there, um, in those first two years, the Biden-Harris administration passed an infrastructure law. They passed a Recovery Act. They passed the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, we were lowering drug prices. It was just like... Um, we did a Chips and Science Act uh, bill, which is going to like transform manufacturing in the country. And we were doing it all under this lens of, of equity and providing more opportunity and jobs for um, all American families. And it, that kind, those were like real wins and that was thrilling, but it was just as thrilling as defending the legislation that I felt like was really important in doing like the day-to-day -day quality of life work. It's the little things that matter, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's something that I think when I was like first getting into public policy, I would have never known or could have accessed, um, or even when I started, if they were like, what's going to be fulfilling when you do this job? But um, as you do the work, you come to realize uh, anytime you can actually feel like you're making a difference in people's lives, you're like, that's why, you know, that's why I do it. And I've mm -hmm. had jobs where I'm not doing like public service. And it is really different. You, you're not, it, 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 it's true service. Those jobs are true service. I mean, you, you really feel like you're making an impact on people's lives and not just the bottom line for um, an organization or something like that. And um, that's, why it's, that's it's why it's great to do and that's why it's an honor to do it. So you, we, we've talked a lot about these, these, this kind of very local kind of, not minute, but you can really get into the nitty-gritty details of governing. Big, big switch, you're working with now Vice President Harris, um, and you're dealing with some pretty serious impeachment issues. What is that learning curve like? How do you deal with the intensity? Um, and, and what can you kind of tell us about what you've learned from such a varied career in that area? Yeah, I think... So I've had, yeah, I've had a career where like the intensity yeah. of the assignments <laughs> yeah. goes up and down. I think as the intensity rises, it's the, it, and you learn this over time as a professional, it's just so important to, for yourself to remain personally calm and centered and you work harder, you work a little slower, you double check everything. Um, I think that is, the, that was one of the biggest differences with the intensity because it mattered, it, you know. Obviously, impeachment matters to the country, but those trash cans matter yeah. to those people. They are equally <laughs> as intense. But if the what we typically think of as, oh, this is more intense, is probably because of the scrutiny. It's just more eyeballs on it. And so in that sense, you feel like it matters more. But 
for the little things and the big things, you apply the same level of attention to detail, the same level, just understanding that like, yeah, everybody across the world may not care about these garbage cans, but that person does. This is their, this is their impeachment. Like this is the biggest thing that they have going, that they, that they want their government to solve for them at this moment. And uh, understanding that makes you treat all of the jobs, all of the assignments with the same level of care and detail. But when it does get more intense, when the scrutiny is higher, when there's more eyeballs, I think the key for me was to um, remaining centered and then just double checking the work, Mm -hmm. having other voices in the room, double check the work and make sure that, um, you know, it's just hard. It's intense and it's complicated not having too big of an ego, thinking I alone can fix this, I got all the answers, just really focusing on what I'm trying to do, which is get it right and doing, you know, taking the time and bringing the input needed to to do that. Yeah, so you mentioned being cool, calm, and collected, Mm. that triple checking, making sure everything is okay, but I feel like at a certain point, you also need the support of your team, of the people that you work with. For sure. So how would you say workplace culture plays into your job and your career how was it were there any notable people that you worked with who have really got your back in office oh yeah (laughs) um so in all of these environments it can be very uh intense it can be stressful as i said it's it's fast paced and you have a lot of work and people they come into a workspace with everything else going on in their lives so there, there could be a lot of intense energy in any of these spaces. And the people that um, I get along best that I rely on are those who are able to not transfer that stress down. Yeah. Like you know, It's hard to do any of these jobs and not get stressed. But to be able to absorb the stress that you have and from other people and not make your headaches, your stress, your fire drill somebody else's problem that that's the key to being like a great colleague and those are the people that I always surround myself by with and then I would say the other type of person I really like in these spaces is the person that can tell you when you're getting a little like oh, you're getting a little too yeah. <laughs> you're on it just like you're getting a little too different maybe you need to calm down a little bit because nobody's perfect we all make mistakes and just having a, a friend in the workplace who can speak to you honestly and with care and give you that kind of feedback is a gem it's so valuable and um that's the joy of any of these jobs is like finding your people in them because I mean you're talking about really serious issues really personal issues sometimes the stuff that goes on here can be so funny and you just I don't like saying colleagues are like family because everyone has their own family but you really do we have a can have a closeness with people at work and every time I've had that it makes any job no matter what it is better Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear some specific moments from the impeachment process that where it really came to a head for you (laughs) I'm trying to think if there were any that came to a head my memory though of the impeachment process is just how long yeah the members had to stay down there. I don't think they had their phones. It was like we didn't, we couldn't really communicate with them. And it was, my memory of the whole process was just how foreign that was for the members and for the staff. Yes. Um, And I was trying to navigate how to communicate and continue to run the office um, during that time. I mean, the only other memory I really have 
of that that is standing out is, um, I think, at the time, the the trial was happening right as um, the then senator, she was ending her primary run and kind of returning back to the Senate. And I think the president had a quippy tweet Mm-hmm. And she tweeted back, I'll see you at your trial, Mr. Mm-hmm. President. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Very viral. Yeah. That is what I, those are like the two like very vivid memories that I have of that time. But other than that, I mean, yeah, I, I, I remember, you know, the Democratic members making, I mean, just making brilliant arguments mm-hmm. and all the work that went into it. And, um, you know, just, it just everyone putting in a lot of effort and work into really trying to do what was right for the country at that time and 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 serve their constituents well with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you witnessed quite the shift in power between Obama and Trump. Um, so how would you say, did your views on politics change between the two presidents or your outlook mm-hmm. on how government runs? I mean, I don't know if... I'm different than any other person in that I think the difference between Obama and Trump was so many norms we saw change or just mm-hmm. like what we thought of politics change, whether it was like social media and how to use social media to like some of the things that some would call just like unorthodox way that um, the, that, admin, that administration operated. I was a bit removed. I like being in Chicago made me a bit removed. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I, again, I was in the house side when Obama was in office, so I was in the minority then too. So I don't think my views shifted, but I, like everyone else, was just kind of like watching our politics and the way we engage in politics change in real time with like a candidate we had never seen before. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of whiplash to deal with yeah. as, a, as someone working in D.C. Yeah, I, I definitely think it's that, but I mean, I think maybe... There was just a level of acceptance, too, when you're yeah. in it. it, maybe faster than others. You know, I think I have friends that are like, I don't know what's going on. It's just like, I don't even think I'm trying to figure yeah. out what's going on. You know, yeah. you're just responding to what's going yeah. on and accepting that, like, this is a new reality. Yeah. All right. So we're coming to kind of the last few yeah. minutes of our interview, yeah. and we like to do something called, like, a lightning round. Yeah, lightning round. I, yeah. I, that's the fun way. Yeah. I don't know if music plays in the background of the podcast when we do this, but I really hope it I hope it does. It does. <laughs> but essentially, we're just going to ask you some fun questions. I'm um, excited. All right, I'll take the first. So in our previous conversation, you mentioned that you like to work out. Do you have an exercise playlist? And there, is there a particular Ooh. artist who happens to frequent that playlist? I, I don't have a specific playlist, but I really, really, really like any type of very loud rap music when I am working out. Okay, it makes me feel yeah. much more yeah. powerful than yeah. I am. I think um, probably Drake is a frequent mm-hmm. uh, a frequent artist on there. And these days now, it's much more the, I guess, women rappers, your mm-hmm. Cardi B's, your Meg Thee Stallion. They get you going. Mm-hmm. Some beef Definitely. going on right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, what okay, so Sarah and I are both foodies, so oh we're very gosh, curious yeah. what is the best place to eat in Chicago? Ooh, my... and this doesn't have to be a fancy restaurant, like yeah, it won't be. Okay. My okay, favorite good. place, I think. Well, I don't know if it's my favorite, but whenever I go back home, I, I am from Beverly, okay. um, it's on the south side of the city, 
everybody has their own their favorites if you're from chicago you have your favorite like pizza place Mm -hmm. mine is my neighborhood pizza place foxes it is probably the thing that every time i go back to chicago i make sure i get what's the order sure um half cheese half sausage okay sausage yes Yes. Deep dish or regular? Regular, thin crust. Okay. Okay, it's the only way to do it. You know, I've actually spoken to so many people from Chicago, and none of them are honestly that big fans of deep dish pizza. The deep dish is good. It's fine. But if you have your neighborhood thin crust, it's just you're not going to be I'm convinced the best pizza in the world is is in Bennington, Vermont, which it obviously (laughs) isn't, but that's where I live. It's how it works. That's valid. Um... Okay, so you mentioned that you like to watch a lot of TV. Is there a favorite episode of television of any any TV show you've ever watched that sticks in mind? I'm really into The Bear, right? Well, okay. I've done both seasons the of The Bear, bear. Okay. and it's from. Let's it's, be careful on the spoilers right now. Yes, okay. I won't. So I think. Okay, that's gonna be hard without the spoilers. I think the episode is called Forks. That's all I'm gonna say. Okay. 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 And that's is that the Christmas episode I've heard a lot about, or is that a different one? No. Um, I'm no. Just showing how culturally. If I say anything, I think it. No, okay. that one is a great. So that's the thing with the okay. bear. I think it's, it's just, ten episodes per season, and, it's just and like you got about twenty episodes to choose from that could that rise to the top. Oh wow! But Forks is my favorite one of all of those. Oh my goodness! The one you're talking about, there's usually like this episode is really good because I just saw stressful. I saw those clips with I saw clips with John Mulaney, and I was like, all right, oh yeah, and yeah. he he does a stellar performance. You gotta watch the whole I, thing. I I need to watch I it. They like. I tried to watch it at a point in my life where I was just very stressed already, and then I turned on. You're like, "Yes, chef," and I'm like, is, "I can't do this right now." It is like, stress, I can't. so I don't recommend doing that. It is. It is a very. But when you have a moment, okay. And it's after good. you see Forks, then you give me a call. Okay. Yeah. And you'll be like, "Yes, this was phenomenal." Definitely. Well. Well. Thank you so much. That was for that was fantastic. Yes, yeah, yeah. really kind. So glad to have met you and talked to you. Yeah. <laughs> Happy short you. spring. Yes. Yes, thank you. mean short you. winter, long spring? And short, if... short, oh, well, yeah. maybe, maybe short spring because then it's long summer. Oh. But. Yeah. However way it plays out. However I'll it take... plays out, I just need the, the cold the to not happen again. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. If you've had enough snow on. All right. Agreed. Where's global warming when you need it? Come on now. <laughs> Thanks for listening to The Fly. You can find us on social media at The Fly Georgetown. If you enjoyed our conversation, make sure to subscribe to The Fly and leave a five-star rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or SoundCloud. Our researchers are Kenneth Jackson, Julian Zeitlinger, Abigail Asadi, and Chase Dobson. Our communications team is Andrea Smith, Austin Culpepper, Darius Wagner, and Sarah Sverdlov. Our production team is Will Hayes and David Grice. Original theme music is composed by Aidan Eng and Bella Carlucci. And I'm Fiona Gallagher, Managing Director of the Pod. The Fly is brought to you by the Georgetown University Institute of Politics and Public Service and is made possible by the McCourt School of Public Policy. Thanks so much for listening and fly with you soon.